buddy. There you go. Oh. No, no. Oh. <laughs> and welcome to the Two Takes on Film podcast. This is Heather along with Wyatt, hmm. also here, uh, <laughs> freshly freshly shaven. You have such a naked face today. I know, I'm so bare. You're so yeah, bare. I don't like it. I look like I'm 12. It, it does feel reminiscent of when I first met you, for sure, in your younger days. Way back when. Way back when. Because when we first met, I was 18. No, I just turned 19. Which means you, you were really? 54. So, yeah. Wow. while ago. You were 19 when you came into college? Yeah. Old boy. Old boy. 2003. 2003? The movie Old Boy came out in 2003. Oh. It's a very famous film, Heather. Goodness gracious. Like, uh, the math does not add up. <laughs> no, I, I was old for my grade is what I meant. So yeah. I was 18 during my senior year and then turned 19 between my senior year and starting yeah. college, my freshman year. Yeah. Yeah. I was always super young for my grade. So I didn't, I started college at 17. Just a youngster of the class of 41. <laughs> little youngster it was actually really inconvenient because since I was under 18 there were a couple of things like the fitness center that I literally could not use unless Mm. my parents signed a permission slip (laughs) that's so funny yeah I was already in college 19 yeah yeah my dad was like 17 when he started college too too so Mm. but he's all he's also an October birthday so Mm. yeah it's that kind of just the first few months kind of thing yeah yeah Well, uh, this reflecting has got me thinking about one of the movies that we're uh, watching today, that we're talking about today. We've already watched it, Mm -hmm. although I did watch part of it today. We're watching (laughs) both the movies on the podcast. Buckle down. (laughs) You're not even going to be able to watch. You're just going to hear it Uh, on our speakers from a distance. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like a really fun experience for all of you. But uh, today... We are covering some a couple of really interesting films. I'll say that. And one of them has to do with this idea of memory and nostalgia. And we'll we'll dive into it in a bit. But in 40 years, what do you think is something current that people will have nostalgia for? 40 years from now, 2061. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know because I mean. I was just telling you this a couple minutes ago, but like, I can't imagine it. Maybe it'll be the case, but I can't imagine us or Gen Zers, especially like in 40 years when they are fifties, we're sixties looking back at like their TikToks or our vines or just like our social media accounts. Mm-hmm. And like looking back at that and just being like, Oh man, what nostalgia, like what a time I can't look back at things I posted like two years ago without feeling like a deep uh-huh. dread and cringe towards it. So I can't even imagine in 40 years, yeah, I won't even 
be able to live with the fact that like I, you know, posted this or did that or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I think with just like accessibility to everything and like Mm -hmm. being able to capture everything all the time, we are like depleting nostalgia as we know it. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are things we will be able to feel nostalgic towards, but nostalgia it like is a thing because we have no official ways to like access types of memory. Mm-hmm. We all like we never have. And so nostalgia is like a product of us wishing we could remember or relive things that we want to. But now like we kind of can for the mm-hmm. most part. Like yeah. how much Gen Zers document their lives, like how much of their lives are in pictures or videos or this or that or posts. Like they can come closer than anyone before to genuinely just reliving a moment, which kind of defeats the purpose or why people kind of are nostalgic towards things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I just have no idea what life is going to look like in 40 years. Like obviously in my own lifetime, there's already been so much advancement in life and technology and all of that. So I think now looking back 30 years, I mean, that's when I was a literal infant, so I don't have very many memories of that. Um, but life, like the simplicity of life was so different then obviously compared to now, just because of how many advancements have been made. So in another 40 years, I think it'll be really interesting to look back on this time now and to think of it potentially as like a more simple life. Um, Certainly after this past year of the pandemic and lockdowns and life has probably looked a lot more simple for people. So um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know Mm -hmm. what, what that one thing will be, but yeah, I agree like technology or um, social media or things like that are a really interesting way to help us remember differently so yeah yeah but I don't know if that's good or bad because part of the like appeal of nostalgia is you inherently tinge things towards Mm -hmm. better than they were positive yeah but when you just have like a very cut and dry just straightforward like no this is what happened you literally have a video of it there's no way to spin that in a more positive Mm -hmm. manner Mm-hmm. So maybe that'll be good. Maybe that'll be bad. I don't mm-hmm. know. Also, just you saying like, this has nothing to do with that really, but you saying like the past year of, I just realized like for a long time, people have been saying the past year because like COVID started in February or whatever, mm-hmm. when people really became aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. And by like August, really only like seven months later or whatever, people are already saying like this past year of. And now it's the following, like we're getting to the point where it's like the past two years, two years, <laughs> you know, like it's been a uh, while, well sad. over like one year, Yeah, you know, like a year, we say the past year, but a year ago today, we were in it like well into yeah. it. So yeah, that, you know, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It really does. <laughs> uh, yeah. Time is, time is weird right now. Mm-hmm. Um, also along the, along these lines of thinking back, um, just reflecting on just certain movies, especially movies for, that you watched when you were a kid that are just like seared into your memory. I'm just curious, are there any 
that felt particularly scarring to you? There's that this is like, I feel like this question is a little bit of a combination of the two movies that we're going to talk about today. Not that the other movie that you're going to be talking about is scarring. Maybe it will be for some people, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's memorable. And I think impactful, impactful searing in a certain way. Um, so yeah, I'm just curious if there are any movies from your childhood that you, that have been seared into your memory or that have scarred you in any particular way. Um, you know, positively or negatively. Yeah. I, wait, do you have an answer to this question? I do. Yeah. There are a couple. Um, Uh Homeward Bound is one for sure. I mean, the ending of it. Okay. So one, it's a movie about animals. And I feel like I've referenced this in past episodes that two, (laughs) and I don't want to like, um, boil all of my movie opinions down to this because it's it's much greater but two things that make me super emotional in movies are animals and old people um animals particularly horses which there aren't horses in homeward bound mm-hmm. but um animals and old people just really get me in a movie homeward bound is literally about a group of animals, a group of pets going on this journey, trying to get home. And spoiler alert, right before the end, one of the animals um, like falls into a hole and gets trapped. And the other animals are like, what do we do? Whatever. So then the like closing scene is all of them coming home, except for that one animal. You're like, oh my gosh, that animal died. But then the animal appears and makes it. It's yeah. it's super majestic. So uh that is one that like as a child, how am I supposed to be processing those kinds of emotions? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that just feels like a lot. Um, another one is my girl. Um oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is just like a tragic, a tragic little love story with a tragic ending and Um, that one is also pretty scarring. Um, another scene in particular, I don't think it, I actually just watched it, um, while you were doing something and it actually is presented in a pretty lighthearted way, but it's a very vivid memory I have, um, from the Dennis, the menace movie, when he is like feeding a hobo baked beans do you remember this? Not really. I don't know. <laughs> it that scene <laughs> that scene in particular is just like really seared into my memory. But uh, is it scary? Well, no. As I as I said, I just watched it back, and it's actually pretty lighthearted. Like Dennis the Menace, Dennis uh, is the one that's like kind of in control. Mm-hmm. The other guy is literally tied up. It's so it's like light, upbeat music. I don't know, but for some reason it's seared into my memory. So those are some for me. I'm sure there are plenty of others. If you watch back many Disney movies from, from the early nineties, they're actually quite dark and tragic in many Mm -hmm. ways. So anyways, do you have any thoughts? I did have an example. I was, I wanted you to share first because I was trying to look up um, exactly who the person kind of responsible for this character was, but a movie called Chitty Chitty Bang Bang from 1968, which I feel yeah. like a lot of people watch. Like totally. I feel like most of my friends and stuff watched it, even though yeah. it is an older movie. Had Dick Van Dyke, uh, a very fun movie. I don't mm-hmm. even remember what it's about. He's like an inventor. Mm-hmm. 
invents the car that flies and they fly to kind of like a magical land and have to do something or whatever it's got a great song yes it does great great theme which i'm currently playing in my hand yeah in my hand yeah but there is a character in this that scared me so so bad and basically they are like this villainous they're not even the main villain i think like the king or the something is kind of like the main bad guy but this is someone that the king or whoever's the main bad guy kind of sends out to like do his his dirty work or whatever Mm -hmm. and it's a character that has these prosthetics that make its his eyes really sunken and his nose really big and like protruding and like long hair and he wears this like black hat and this coat and it's all like musical so he sings and there's i remember there's a scene in a trailer where they are like in some sort of trailer type thing and he's like peering through the windows and i think it's like a candy shop type trolley trailer type thing and he's like licking live it's really freaking creepy then there's a scene later on where they're hiding from him in like a toy shop so they pretend to be life-size like um the dolls that pop up out of the box what are those called oh, yeah. jack, jack, or jack in the box, in the box. like yeah. they pretend to be those but because of that their makeup's all creepy or whatever and he's mm-hmm. like getting really close to him trying to get him to like blink or something to prove that they're not like real toys anyway terrifying super <laughs> super terrifying just like creepy guy so i was like what was that character's name his character's name was the child catcher oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> like nothing like you know subdued about that like yeah. he's just a kidnapper that's his character's name yeah. basically but uh, i i have not watched that movie in a long long time so i might be somewhat reimagining those scenes mm-hmm. um but i do remember it genuinely terrifying me when yeah. i was a child yeah yeah that's also just an interesting point about our memories is that we could be misremembering things but for some reason however it happened the experience that you had with it yeah you remember them through the lens that you first experienced it yeah yeah which was through the lens of a small child yeah who could have been caught by the child catcher by the child catcher yeah terrifying Yeah. yeah Well, like I said, both of those questions uh, have a little bit of connection to what were the the movies that we're talking about today. One in particular, Uh, the other one is a bit of a stretch, but um, yeah. So today we're going to be talking about Reminiscence and Annette. Um, I'm going to start with Reminiscence Mm -hmm. and I told Wyatt this yesterday, but I have had such a difficult time with this title in my mind every time. I go to think about it or say, say it, it's like reminisce or premonition or remembrance. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's just been a struggle for me, but, uh, reminiscence is written and directed by Lisa joy. Who's the co-creator of Westworld, which I actually haven't seen. Um, I've heard a lot of great things about it Mm -hmm. as, as a show, it's a show on HBO. Um, but I feel like it has a lot of similar themes to this movie, as far as being futuristic, um, dealing with the past, perhaps again, I don't know a ton about it, but, um, So Lisa Joy is a co-creator of that show. This movie is actually her directorial debut, uh, which is exciting for her. So Mm -hmm. uh, this is the story of Nick Bannister, who's played by Hugh Jackman, and he's a private private investigator of the mind. So people Mm. come to him um, to explore their memories. 
not necessarily in an investigative way. For some of them, it's just to simply yeah. relive their memories that he has acquired or created this technology um, that essentially people lay in shallow water in this tube with these electrical nodes on their brain and he he guides them through like a therapist would kind of um through their memories so his life um changes however when a new client walks in that client is may who's played by rebecca ferguson um which side note this is a reunion for the two of them Hugh Jackman and Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, they were both in The Greatest Showman, mm-hmm. which I feel like there are also some weird similarities to that movie. The, dr- the red dress she wears yeah. is like the same one from The Greatest Showman. Yeah. So in in both movies, she uh, Rebecca Ferguson is this singer, mm-hmm. um, which in this movie she actually sings which yeah. I didn't realize. Greatest Showman, she did not sing, no. um, <laughs> but. I mean, she doesn't have a bad voice. Like her voice is fine no, no, it's um, good. in this movie, but she is this like sultry singer who ends up coming into Hugh Jackman's life and like kind of ruining it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also one ending. There's also one scene in particular where Hugh Jackman is running around on a rooftop and there is fabric that's like draped over clothing lines and whatever. Uh, and I kid you not, that scene could have been a, like outside of the fact that he's running around in a chaotic way. Like and I'm pretty gun. sure he has a gun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> minus that aspect, the scene itself looks exactly like a scene from The Greatest Showman. Yeah, so, the rooftop setting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So just a couple of funny similarities there. Um, but May, who's played by Ferguson, um, is a starlet, a singer who comes into Jackman's life um, and and throws him off course a bit. Um, yeah. So anyways, she ends up disappearing and it becomes Nick Bannister's mission to uh, dive into his memories, to dive into others people, other people's memories uh, to try to find her. So um, I wasn't a huge fan of this one. It could have been that I was watching it late at night, had to mm-hmm. rewatch some of it today. Um, yeah. Wasn't a huge fan, but I would give it maybe like a five out of ten, personally. Yeah, your face makes me. I wonder, would. Wonder I would give you... it lower. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that feels pretty on brand for us. But yeah, uh, we'll get into some of the reasons that I liked it, and also some of the reasons I didn't like it. Um, so this movie is set in the somewhat near future. We don't really know when it is, but it, I think it is supposed to be the future, um, in a, in a partially underwater Miami. (laughs) So (laughs) takes place in Miami, but, um, the waters are rising. And so part of the city has, has gone underwater. Yeah. Has sunken. Um, so one of the things that I did enjoy was actually this world that they build. It feels, like it does feel realistic, but with a twinge mm-hmm. of not. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed the like water elements. Water is kind of a theme throughout the whole, the movie as a whole. Um, so, but anyways, obviously the city of Miami is not <laughs> partially 
underwater in this way. So the visual effects that I felt like they used to create yeah. the world um, felt realistic enough to me, but also like futuristic. I don't know. I just liked the world that they built. Um, it did feel a little bit like video gamey at times like some Mm. of the shots especially at the beginning as they're kind of introducing you to this world um definitely felt not real (laughs) uh but I don't know also realistic enough that's a messy way of explaining it I I I agree with you I think I think the visual effects were impressive for and genuinely good world building in the film the way they talk about when the waters rose and like Mm -hmm. certain types of privileged people were able mm-hmm. to like dam things off and then buy like what they call the dry, dry lands land. like yeah. the lands that are still above the water while everyone else kind of lives in the like slums where all the streets mm-hmm. are just kind of like filled with water and stuff mm-hmm. and everyone's walking through them yeah. also everyone's wearing like suits and stuff so yeah. i just imagine like after a couple of days everyone would be wearing like full suits and like water shoes totally like, like yeah. river water shoes like yeah. sandals but um decent like world building the the graphics were yeah, that was a good way to put it. Video game ish at time, but mm-hmm. but good world building. I did kind of buy into this sunken coast Miami vibe to it that mm-hmm. I liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I wish that I I wish we would have gotten to explore the world a little bit more. Obviously, it seemed like um, Lisa Joy took a lot of time in creating that world and kind of dreaming it up. Um. So I, yeah, I just wish that we would have got to explore it a little bit more, but Mm -hmm. I did enjoy that. Um, another thing that I did enjoy, there's obviously this, this, um, theme of technology. Technology is, uh, what has allowed Nick Bannister to have this, um, ability to help people explore their memories and different things like that. So even the concept of if you could, go back and explore your memories or relive certain things. Not that they ever are able to go back and change things. You just get to relive it. Um, just an interesting idea of, yeah, would I, would I choose to do that? People Mm -hmm. have to pay, um, to be able to do this, but it feels, uh, accessible enough that random people can just kind of walk in and, or I guess they have to make an appointment, but anyways, uh, just an interesting idea of technology and thinking about the not so distant future and what technology might pop up that allows us to dig into our, our brain and our psyche, uh, to relive things from the past, just gets you thinking. Um, if that is an interesting concept to you, I would actually encourage you to watch, um, an episode of black mirror that also tackles this same kind of theme. Um, season one, episode three, it's called the entire history of you. And, uh, again, digs into this idea of memory and, um, for them, they actually have the ability to erase memories or clear history of of memories and different Mm -hmm. things like that um so it approaches it in a different way than this movie does but again if that is an interesting concept to you uh i think that would be another another piece of art yeah yeah, to explore i really enjoyed um that episode yeah uh and then lastly the i really enjoyed the score i thought the score was a part of developing the world as a whole um it was done by I don't know how to pronounce his name, Raymond 
Jawadi, uh, who's a composer for Game of Thrones. He worked on Westworld as well as Iron Man, Pacific Rim. Uh, And then he also is doing the music for Eternals, which comes out in November. So um, given some of those other things that he's been a part of, this this genre or this theme um, kind of feels like his sweet spot. And uh, yeah, I just found myself noticing the music throughout and that it, it just felt like it contributed to, to the overall feel. So those were some of the things that I noticed or enjoyed from the movie. Do you want to add anything before I go on to the other parts? Um, not particularly. I mean, it, it plays with a lot of really um it plays into several different genres almost to its detriment but if you like sci-fi if you like neo-noir if you like more erotic thrillers it does have a little bit of all of that in them Mm. i ultimately think that kind of brings the movie down in some ways Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it does have aspects of appeal to every like type of sci-fi noir lover so you know check it out Mm -hmm. if you if you are into that kind of thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah as far as some of the things that I didn't enjoy as much um so Nick Bannister he like I said is running this business if you will um this memory business and he has a partner named Watts um Mm -hmm. and both of them have been in the armed forces. That's how they know each other. That's how they've come to build this relationship. Um, Watts is played by Tandy Newton, uh, who also stars in Westworld. Um, so is a was brought over by Lisa Joy. Um, I I enjoyed. Let's see. How do I want to say this? I wish that we would have gotten to see more of their storyline. Um, there are a couple of moments when parts of their relationship are kind of revealed or, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I don't want to give too much away, but their, their dynamic feels really interesting to me, but I, there was so much going on that I feel like that didn't become something that got focused on, but seems like it's actually a pretty significant part of even Nick Bannister's life. Um, there's yeah. a moment at the end kind of looking towards the future and the, there's a bond between them, a relationship between them that I think just didn't feels, feel as explored as didn't it feel as explored. Yeah, yeah. But felt weighty. Um, so anyways, I wish that we would have gotten to dig into their, their story a bit more. Um, that being said, the movie as a whole is there's just way too much going on. <laughs> there are too many people. There's too many storylines. Um, they're they're in the present, but they're going into the past. It's confusing at times. It just feels unnecessarily convoluted. And I think, like we just talked about, that's at the detriment of developing characters and storylines that I think actually would have made the movie a lot better than yeah, it they was could have, they could have benefited from cutting out some of the noise and focusing on those relationships a little yeah. bit more and like really giving us some tangible character development mm-hmm. between them rather than like just an overflow of ideas and themes constantly mm-hmm. being thrown at you and constantly being switched around and 
repeated but in different ways Mm -hmm. as if that means something different this time where when you don't have characters you care about when you don't have relationships developing that you find interest in then when they just repeat those same things there's no different meaning to them there's no gravity that's been kind of brought with them throughout the arc of the film they're Mm -hmm. just saying the same lines over and over again yeah yeah so that leads me to my last point it felt like there were some plot holes it felt uh like there were repetition there was repetition of certain lines that it just didn't it just added to the length Mm -hmm. of the film and again I think those things could have been cut out not that it was even that long it was like just under two hours but um I think it could have been I think it needed to be tighter as a movie. However, I do feel like there was enough there that it could have done better as maybe like a mini series. I was thinking the same thing. Like getting, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say like getting to dive into these characters that I think have enough of a foundation there that, like I said, with um, Nick and Watts, I wanted to know more about their relationship, but they're, there were so many other things happening that there wasn't time given to that. So I think it could have benefited from not only getting to know the characters more, but getting to explore the world more, getting to spend more time um, doing what Nick does. So yeah. What were you going to say? Well, like I was saying, the world building is there. It's impressive. The sensibility and style of this world that Lisa Joy has created and these characters and for the most part like the motivations of these people in this futuristic setting is there i think it would have benefited from more time to explore that um but unfortunately we just don't get that and it just like i said it's just overflow of ideas and themes and and you know when when a line is repeated several times throughout a film it's either a callback well it is a callback to the first time that line was repeated and that mm-hmm. can serve as one or two ways it can it can serve as like just a humor based like callback to something or it can serve as like a building block. Like mm-hmm. you're hearing this line for the second time, but it should mean something different the second time you hear it based on what you've seen between the first time you heard it and now. But that just doesn't happen. Yeah. They're callbacks simply to just say this is cohesive. All these things are together. All these themes, all these themes are together. They run together, but in reality, they're not. They're just mumbo jumbo, nostalgic, like you know, pseudo philosophical lines about memories and mm-hmm. this and that, mm-hmm. how they affect our lives. And it, it just doesn't work. And there's so much dialogue, so much narration, just talking about those kind of mm-hmm. pseudo scientific, pseudo philosophical yeah. lines yeah. about this and that, that it just becomes just garbage just mm-hmm. like i said mumbo jumbo like it just gets lost in all of it like there were lines towards the end of the film that just seemed to drag on and on and on with this not even exposition mm-hmm. because it's not exposition anymore they're not explaining anything they're just trying to convince you that it was more meaningful than it actually was that mm-hmm. it like meant something more to the human experience than it actually did that it represented some sort of aspect of the human ex- experience that was a higher level of understanding than it actually was mm-hmm. so it's not even dumps of exposition it's just dragging on of this philosophical talk and lines that were repeated that i was saying out loud while watching them because mm-hmm. i had only, i had already heard them four times about the movie yeah and they meant nothing more to me now the second time watching them because i knew exactly what they were going to say like 
just cheesy, cheesy lines. Like memories are just beads on the necklace of time. Yes. Sorry. I'm sorry. That's like the third line of the movie. And immediately that just loses me. Yeah. Like you're just not going to grip me with anything that I feel like I can relate to when you're talking like that. Yeah. When you're talking like you asked the computer Very flowery. to act like it's a poet yeah, talking about sci-fi themes. Like it just, yeah. Uh, the movie just isn't able to pull these themes together. Like I said, it has good intentions in the like erotic thriller category or the like kind of uh, detective mystery, like mm-hmm. LA Confidential, Chinatown, Noir Mystery. It has good sci-fi themes and this good sci-fi world building, but it just wants to be so much more than it is yeah. that it fails in all of those. And it's not successful in any of them because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and overall, just a watch that really leaves you feeling like for as much as it wants to be, it, it culminates to just an emptiness Yeah, of like, wow, that really had no impact on me that really Mm -hmm. said nothing about anything it just Mm -hmm. was yeah and the thought that in the the fact that it kind of thought it was so much more than it was almost leaves you with like a secondhand embarrassment almost a Mm. cringe of like man they really tried they really tried and I'm proud of them in some way for trying but also Mm -hmm. nah just like missed it step back and look at this and, and mm-hmm. understand like no this that's not what this is like mm-hmm. you're 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 not hitting the ball yeah but yeah not to rag on it too much <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's reminiscence um interesting that lisa joy did go from uh from a series tv type show to then the the movie situation. Um, and again, it feels like maybe, maybe it would have been better in that TV episodic series type of way. Um, and even then if it was contained, because even Westworld, I love the first season of Westworld, but mm-hmm. even from early into the second season, you could tell that it kind of derailed that they, and then the third season was just not abysmal. It's still an entertaining show, but yeah. like it's, fallen mm-hmm. a long mm-hmm. long ways from like a near perfect first season yeah both her and her husband jonathan nolan are who she co-created westworld yeah. with yeah have like this insanely good knack for this sci-fi world building with these mm-hmm. really like niche concepts like westworld is a western type world where people go to like live out a fantasy of kind of living as like a root and tune cowboy kind of thing but it's also this nostalgic kind of like reminisce it's reminiscent (laughs) of the past and westerns and Mm -hmm. like back in those days of america and that kind of thing and and they have this great knack for world building but they both just fall short as why as writers when it comes to expanding that to be more than like the initial concept and so i think with westworld they hit it out of the park. They nailed it with that first season. And then they felt pressure to mm-hmm. expand it. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of collapsed under the weight of its own expectations there. And then with something like Reminiscence, probably similar, where maybe she just had the idea and then was given the green light to only make it a movie. So she thought, yeah. I have to fit any theme All that I've it. possibly thought of this, mm-hmm. like this initial idea that I had that is quite good and quite interesting. 
any direction that I've foreseen that possibly going in the future as an expansion of the story, mm-hmm. I now have to mm-hmm. cram into these two hours. Yeah. But that just, you know, that yeah. doesn't end up working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I will say that Hugh Jackman has a great voice, so it's not hard to listen to his narration. Mm-hmm. Um, that's lovely. So this is Reminiscence. It is currently in theaters and is also streaming on HBO Max. Um, so once again, go check it out in the theater or stream it from home. All right. Next movie for today for this episode is Annette. This is the latest movie from uh, Leos Carax, who is a French director most known for his work in 2012 called Holy Motors. That's the only one of his work that I've seen, um, to be honest. And really, it seems like like he has not directed anything in between. So nine years, mm-hmm. you know, and this is his next film. Um, and he really didn't, unless you're like a niche French person who's able to like have access to his like smaller earlier films. Mm-hmm. No one that I've know is like has really seen anything beyond that. But I said this a couple episodes when we mentioned Annette, but Holy Motors is possibly the weirdest film I've ever seen, just in terms of just very, very odd, absurd or absurd viewing experience where mm-hmm. you just spend the whole time thinking. I don't know what's coming next. Like, I don't know what he has an incredible talent for creating scenes and creating situations that feel pulled straight from a dream. Hmm. Like Mm -hmm. you feel like maybe I've dreamt this before where you're in a dream and logic just seems to flow and people can interact in ways that aren't logical, but your brain just kind of accepts them as as coming into that story in that manner. Mm -hmm. He has a good way of making scenes that feel like that, where at first everything in your brain is telling you that it's not right for such character, this character, or even the visuals of the scene to interact that way because that defies physics or logic or any kind of like of the rules we have to our day-to-day life. Yeah. But ultimately you end up accepting it and kind of going along with the ride, just like you do in a dream where your brain just kind of says, well, this is okay. And then Mm -hmm. you wake up later and you think, how did I think that that was actually happening? Like that makes zero sense at all, Mm -hmm. but in the moment your brain just accepts it. So very talented. Um, And this movie kind of continues that trend of absurd moments. I think a lot of people will watch this and their primary draw from it will just be, wow, that was so quote weird. Mm -hmm. So this is a musical from him. Um, it stars Adam Driver as Henry McHenry, a stand-up comedian, and his um, tumultuous relationship with uh, Marion Cotillard's Anne, who is an opera singer. And they get together and have this high-profile relationship and then end up having a daughter named Annette. Uh, also stars um, Simon Helberg as the accompanist, I think is his official mm-hmm. character name, yeah. who is just kind of a secondary character and friend of the couples and, and mm-hmm. the families. Um, so narratively, this film is quite simple. Actually following its narrative is a pretty cut and dry story. Um, I'm not going to get super into it because I don't want to spoil anything. Mm-hmm. But artistically and visually, it mm-hmm. presents itself as very, very complex. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is one of the primary issues with the film. Something like Holy Motors 
is visually and artistically and thematically very complex because like I was talking about, he loves making these scenes that feel very dreamlike, but narratively also complex or not even so much complex, but narratively loose. Hmm. Holy Motors does not have a structure of a story to it. And that allows this free flowing artistic style of, um, of cracks to, to kind of shine through and for him to just go as bonkers as he wants to, because his narrative is as, as, uh, as clay, like as his artistic style, it's able Mm. to just be restructured and moved around and you being consumed into this dreamlike fervor of watching this movie are okay with the narrative flowing because there's not really one. So when you pair that same style of wanting it to be absurd, wanting it to be bonkers with this pretty cut and dry story, it creates kind of a disassociation for people. I think while watching it of how do I, how do I put actual investment in these characters and Mm -hmm. care about the story? You know, you, you meet these characters, they have feelings, you understand those feelings and they make decisions and you're supposed to care about these decisions. Are they the right decisions? Are they the wrong decisions? Should they do this? But it's so overflowing with just over the top visual, um, like uh, overstimulating moments of visual yeah. and thematic style mm-hmm. that it's hard to take the actual serious, this actual story serious. And you get to the end of the film and I think you realize that it was asking you to take it quite seriously, but along the whole way, it wasn't until the end that I realized that because along the Mm -hmm. whole way, it's so absurd at moments that I think, well, I shouldn't take this too seriously because at any point something could come along that would just upend everything and make me realize, Oh, it's not actually as grounded as realistic as you're taking it as. And then I would feel quite silly for investing myself in the more grounded aspects of the story itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah. Um, So (laughs) a little bit of a, a backtrack this the the story actually of the film and the music is written by the sparks brothers who i had never heard of until earlier this film edgar wright the director of uh the three flavors cornetto trilogy as in shawn of the dead hot fuzz and at world's end also director of scott pilgrim versus the world also director of baby driver and also director of the upcoming um last night in soho he directed a documentary made on the Sparks Brothers mm-hmm. called The Sparks Brothers for A24 just a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. And I was able to watch that and it gave me an extreme appreciation for the band. They're a very eccentric rock type duo. Mm-hmm. And I think having that appreciation for their style and their music definitely helped me going into this film because this film is a musical but it's not one that you would ever just turn on in the car and listen to the songs as individuals. Totally. It's, it's a rock opera that plays with uh, dialogue and instrumentals and singing in a very fast and loose back and forth mm-hmm. flowy way. It makes for a transcendental type of experience watching mm-hmm. the film, but it doesn't necessarily make for quote, good music and i don't Mm -hmm. think that's what they're necessarily aiming for but when you say musical don't expect to watch this thinking in the heights you know like this is not the same you will not go to the spotify version of this album the spotify album of this movie and just be like oh yeah that one and click (laughs) it on and just listen to it because half the songs are 
12 seconds long because a mm-hmm. character just sings in the middle of his words or her mm-hmm. words until they don't and then another one does or does not yeah. it's very back and forth and all the singing for the most part except for a few instances when um Anne is on stage is done for real and and, Live, the, yeah. and the actors and actresses don't necessarily have like the best voices possible mm-hmm. um but i think that is is uh effective in bringing out the emotion of their lines and stuff when you have you these people like you said or like i said that you feel are real people singing mm-hmm. these lines but mm-hmm. then again you have that disassociation again this disconnection of yeah i do feel like this is a real person i understand the emotions of his or her decisions and i understand the emotions of his or her lines based on those decisions but then they're singing mm-hmm. which kind of sweeps all that understanding or or sympathy we could have for them away because most people at least myself don't sing most of the words we say you know totally totally. so while it's similar it's similar to the um film adaptation of Les Mis in that way in Mm. that the singing happens live and it's little to no dialogue um but yeah they're they're singing everything yeah yeah um so while I appreciated the Sparks Brothers' contributions to the film and they wrote the story as well, it, 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 I do think it just further added to that clash of absurd art that cracks crafts so well and a more grounded story. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say that the ending of this film, what made me think, oh, they actually wanted to take this seriously is actually my favorite part of the film. The mm-hmm. last 40, the last 30, 40 minutes are my favorite. The beginning is just off-putting because it is so strange. Mm-hmm. And then the middle, I think, just drags tremendously. Mm-hmm. But the end of the film, I actually did enjoy. Essentially, what this film ends up evolving into is this character study of a very toxic person as they attempt to as they struggle to find a way to love people and live their life amidst their toxicity and rage and, and anger. Mm -hmm. And that is an interesting thing. And there are lines towards the end of the film and there are, there are um, confrontations towards the end of the film that I thought, Oh, wow, this is saying something more than I thought it was. But the reason I didn't realize it was saying that much is because it's so absurd on the right there that Mm -hmm. you don't, you don't, give yourself the opportunity you don't allow yourself to take things too seriously because you don't want to be the fool that took this scene seriously and then you realize it's a it's just like this weird dream that a character's having or something um so i don't think that this film is gonna be liked by a lot of people i think it's gonna be very divisive i think it's inherently gonna find a cult following Mm -hmm. because it just is one of those Mm -hmm. films where if you love it, you will love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of people are going to watch it and just be like, what was that? It's also quite long, mm-hmm. quite, quite long. It's 140 minutes. Um, and that just, like I said, there are parts of the movie that really drag, really, really drag. Um, so while I was looking forward to this film a lot, and I wouldn't necessarily say the further I get from this film, the more I want to revisit it, especially yeah. watching the end. The end really just does make a lot of things from earlier in the film click together for me mm-hmm, in a way mm-hmm. that makes it feel a lot 
more cohesive. I just personally wasn't expecting that. So maybe someone going in not actually familiar with the works of the artists involved would actually be better because they'd be trying to piece it together cohesively. I think I was too familiar with them. Therefore, I was purposely trying not to piece it together because I didn't think that there was going to be any sort of cohesion to it. Hmm. But in fact, there actually was. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. A, a very interesting film. I'm not even necessarily going to give it a rating or a you should watch, you shouldn't watch. Um, I think if you know what type of films you like, if you, if what I'm, and, and let me tell you, like, it's strange. It's very <laughs> absurd. Um, if that kind of thing interests you, if you like watching movies and just the whole time feeling like what is going on, mm-hmm. then yeah, give it a watch. Mm-hmm. If that's something that you don't like it confuses you and then you feel lost and you don't feel like there's any grounding to it or like meaning to it because it's just so self-obsessed and upending expectations and be abs- being absurd you're right it is a little bit of that and mm-hmm. if you don't enjoy that then you're not going to enjoy this film yeah but anyway those are my thoughts on mm-hmm. Annette mm-hmm. yeah for me it 100% felt like a fever dream <laughs> after watching it it was it was very much like that of like, what on earth did I just watch? Um, Adam Driver, however, is the best part of the film to me. He um, is is just phenomenal. And I yeah. think has this incredible ability to obviously, like Wyatt mentioned, they're singing everything. And so to be able to sing and act and present these lines and emotion all of that, it felt like he was fully capable of doing that. He's, he's not the greatest singer, and, mm-hmm. um, which honestly I think was fine for what yeah. this movie was. It wasn't trying to be, well, I don't know if it was ultimately he's trying a, to he's a flawed be that, character but, and he's a flawed singer yeah. and he's someone who doesn't know how to express his emotions in, yeah. in healthy ways. And that yeah. comes out and he's not necessarily, necessarily even able to sing these emotions in Mm -hmm. good sounding ways Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know? Yeah. There's one scene in particular where he, uh, like Wyatt said, he's a a stand-up comedian. He's doing a bit on stage and he is like acting something out and it was just amazing. It was, yeah, yeah, just super solid. Um, and then the combination of him with Marion Cotillard and then even with Simon Helberg. So Simon Helberg, you likely probably know him from the big bang theory. Mm. Um, he felt like a, like a surprise to me and just the way that he, I felt like he very much held his own against, um, Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard and just has a really interesting role in the movie. So enjoyed that. Um, what I will say the connection, uh, or memory that this jogs for me is, um, a scene from the movie. She's all that, uh, with Freddie Prince jr. When he is, he has been taken to this like art, um, experience, if you will, he's Uh brought up on stage and he's doing this. He ends up doing this like spoken word monologue while playing with a hacky sack. Um, the feeling of that scene is this movie (laughs) like, uh, for an additional two hours and 
18 minutes and, um, and, and with a lot more, but, uh, that scene from that movie just felt very, um, familiar when watching, uh, this movie. Uh, I will say that it also was just visually beautiful. It had a great Mm. color palette and some really great, like long shots and, um, circular shots at times that were, were just really beautiful. So, um, yeah, I, I also noted that I wouldn't probably add any of these songs to my, I wish I was a theater kid playlist, um, because they're not like a, like sing-alongy type. However, there are a couple that are pretty catchy. So yeah. 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 Anyways, it was an interesting watch. Um, I, like you said, I have, it's one that has stuck with me and that I have thought about since watching it. Um, and if anything, I think that says a lot about, about the film and yeah, probably one worth revisiting, but it's an experience for sure. Yeah. 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 So that's Annette and Annette is currently available to stream on Amazon prime. Um, I know that it has been showing in some select theaters, so, uh, you just may have to check and see if it's in a theater near you uh but streaming it on amazon felt uh fine and appropriate as well so and reminiscence is currently streaming on hbo max and in theaters yeah so thanks for coming along with us on this journey today uh if you have seen either of these we really would love to hear from you particularly if you've seen annette um i would be really curious to see what you think and uh yeah they're streaming so they're accessible go see them let us know what you think uh make sure to be following along with us on instagram at two takes on film and of course um subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode never never that's what we have for you today bye bye Now she's passed them down to her kids because she's probably dead at this point and her kids have them on some bookshelf somewhere or they pass them down to their kids at this point and it's just floating around there jared sneezing pizza and you don't even have a copy of your own book that concerns me <laughs>